Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. In today's episode, Pat and I are going to talk about some of the small changes that we've made to our airsofting playstyle or some of the things that we've done that have had an actually really big impact on our performance in the field. These are things that we chose to pick up, things that we decided that we were going to try to do, or things that we were just going to look into that previously we hadn't really thought about. And in so doing, it opened up a whole new world of possibilities and actually really helped boost our performance on the field. So I think Pat is going to start us off. So from your perspective, what was the when we started talking about this episode, what was the first one that came to mind for you? So absolutely the first thing that came to mind for me was learning how to properly do a shoulder transition. Okay. Uh, and it's one of these things where it's a really, really quick thing to learn how to do that, you know, um, pop the stock up, move it over, switch hands process like, it, like i think if i explained that decently just now you have half an idea how to do it from that like you know podcast soundbite right mm -hmm. and that is awesome but every single game i've played since i first got shown how to do that i have gotten kills because of it i have gotten you know people who would otherwise have gotten the drop on me because of it mm -hmm. um you know and it's like smoothing it out and making it work right and figuring out how to do it with your uh, rifle sling so that you don't get you know tangled up and stuff that all took time right getting it cleaned up took a lot of time but yeah like i think it took 30 seconds to explain to me how to do it and as soon as i knew how to do it in like just the most basic way it was like okay yep that's a game changer yeah that's i mean that's a really good example because really offside shooting and like shoulder transitions and stuff is stuff that we've been sort of aware of and we've known since you know like 2010 2011 you know the magpul days and all that kind of stuff but we didn't really practice it right like we knew about it kind of but it's only in the last like i think four five years maybe certainly since we've been training a bit more regularly and you know having chris on the team to to do training sessions with and promote that sort of thinking that we've been spending time to do offside shooting right and like making an effort to to get together and practice as a team like i'm not sure i would say it's you know like a it fits quite that like quick you know five minute things you can do to improve your airsoft game that's kind of the initial concept for this episode but a lot of the stuff that i'm going to talk about in this episode and i suspect a lot of the stuff you're going to talk about in this episode are both uh things that work really really well that we picked up because we get together and practice, right? Yeah, for sure. And when it comes to offside shooting in particular, I mean, it's the kind of thing that, like you were saying, it only takes five minutes to learn how to do, and then you incorporate it into your practice. So like when we do our ready-up drills, you know, you're doing half and half on one side and the other. And it's the kind of thing that pays almost immediate dividends, because the first time that you shoot offside, you're garbage. And then the 10th time that you shoot offside, you're probably still garbage. But then by the time you've done like 50 shots offside, you're actually getting better. And your orders of magnitude better at that point than you were before. And what you find is you start getting good at shooting offside relatively quickly with not too much effort. But it has a huge impact on your game. Yeah, it's uh, shooting offside in general is uncomfortable like it is uh it's one of those things for me where i'm like my brain is clearly fighting me on this this is not how it wants to be doing the thing mm -hmm. but for something that starts out really uncomfortable 
it takes very little time to get comfortable with it and to get to turn it into a really useful, effective skill. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I know for myself now, I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It's like I'm sh I'm showing up to, you know, a left side corner. My gun's going to my left shoulder and I'm just shooting. Right. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, and I don't it's not a conscious thing anymore. Yeah, no, it, uh, it becomes muscle memory. It becomes autopilot. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it's reinforced by the fact that it genuinely prevents you from getting your ass kicked. Yep. Right. Yep. Which is pretty excellent. You know, it's very easy to practice. Uh, skills where you see directly, oh man, I am doing better because of this, you know, in an empirical way, right? Because if you're doing it and the guy on the other side of the situation isn't and needs to be, you will win. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, and we've talked about this before, but on average, if you're doing ready up drills and you're transitioning shoulders and doing both sides and stuff, that's great because the other guy on average is not. Most people who are playing airsoft are not spending time out of their day to practice, to train. And if you are, that's giving you an advantage right out the gate. And if you want to talk about, you know, like small things, small tweaks to your approach to airsoft that can make a humongous difference, there is one right away for you, right? It's just, you know, if you do 10 ready ups every day, right, which takes, again, like a minute, just turn on your magnifier or turn on your optic rather do 10 ready ups turn off your optic put the gun away if you do that every day you are i don't know 70 ready ups a week better than almost every airsoft player same goes with basically any of your skills whether it's reloads whether it's you know sidearm transitions shoulder transitions you can do a lot of that dry fire at home and that will make a huge difference and like pat was saying like i mean you're investing you know 20 minutes out of your week, not even your day, 20 minutes out of your week to do a whole pile of ready ups. I mean, that's a really good return on investment. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely would agree. I know you snuck a second one in there, but I think that that's Sorry. totally fair. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm cheating. <laughs> um, I think for me, one of the things that I, I did that was relatively small, but actually made a huge difference for me actually happened last year when we went out with a measuring tape and we measured off a distance and I got to know exactly what the accurate range on my rifle was at like a hundred feet, what my distance hold was at that distance versus what I actually thought it was. I thought there was a distance hold at a hundred feet and turns out there wasn't right. And also getting my zero down. Like that's something that we did in an afternoon. Uh, we did it to actually to record that video, but we also took some time to actually do it properly. And that made a huge, huge difference on my performance last year because I took the time to actually not just, you know, properly zero my equipment, but also really understand what the effective distances of my um, of my gear was. Made a huge, huge difference. And it took me like an hour. Yep. Right. And like, it's one of these things where, you know, I, I completely agree. Like I had the same experience, you know, because I was there in the background helping with that video. <laughs> we know our guns are really good. We have a pretty good idea of their range, right? Their reach of their accuracy of their effectiveness. But that was a really good afternoon for getting that from, yeah, I know how far my gun can shoot to like a really concrete empirical data set of no, like my gun can go from here to here. So if I'm further away than that, I should be moving, not shooting. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. And it is amazing to me in retrospect <laughs> 
um, how valuable that is and how daft we were for not thinking about how valuable that is. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, well, we should have been doing this for a while, obviously, um, mm-hmm. and not in a, like, self-recrimination way, just in a, like, oh, yeah, we should have thought of that, you know, and partly because, you know, it, it gave us a genuine practical edge in games because a lot of other people are like, yeah, my gun can shoot 300 feet, and they're like, actually 210 feet away from you and they're still way way outside of their effective range but they're just you know lobbing shots and hoping to maybe hit you with something and yes sometimes they'll get hit sometimes you will get hit from someone who's just like pointed their gun up you know 70 degrees and is firing more akin to a mortar than a rifle (laughs) yeah and i think for me it was a huge part of it was getting that certainty that it doesn't matter what range I'm really at, like uh, especially like thinking about the frontline field. It gave me my certainty that if I put my red dot on something, my BB can more or less hit it. I don't need to be angling above or below or doing any sort of that garbage. I knew that my distance, I could put my dot on target 150 feet away and the BB would hit that with the same level of accuracy, more or less, than if I was at 100 feet or 75 feet. That's still like, you know, a couple inches either way, which for Airsoft is totally, totally fine, right? That is an excellent MOA for an Airsoft rifle. <laughs> but prior to doing that, if I was shooting someone 150 feet away on the field, I would definitely be oh, like, you know, I would be holding my dot over their heads, right? I would, because I'm like, oh yeah, I have a distance hold here. Or I thought I did, right? You know, before I measured it, I thought there was a distance hold. And it turns out there wasn't. So it's a small thing, but it had a huge, huge impact on my gameplay. And I can't recommend enough for people to go out there and actually do that. And it might seem a little complicated. You need a space and you need to measure and all this kind of stuff. But once you get it set up, it's relatively easy and you'll be doing it for like half an hour, 45 minutes, and then you're done. And you don't have to do it again for, you know, as long as you don't crack your gun open, basically, or take your optic off or or what have you. And it's not like a real gun. Like, you're probably not going to lose your zero over the course of just playing a whole bunch, right? For sure. So, I mean, that's my first thought. Uh, What's another thing that you can think of that's, you know, made a big change for you? So, you know, again, talking about, like, small things that I feel made a substantial difference to my play. Um, You know, and this is a thing that we've mentioned a couple of times, but, like, I want to sort of hone in on it, Uh, making sure that my shit was strapped correctly, right? Making sure all my gear was strapped tight down so that it doesn't shift around so that everything is exactly where it needs to be and then practicing with Mm -hmm. that, right? Yeah. So if I take a knee, my gear doesn't move. If I do, you know, 10 jumping jacks, when I finish, I can still pull a mag out of exactly the same place I could pull a mag out of beforehand. And it's one of those things where people often show up for airsoft games and you're like yeah, you got about six inches of play on that vest friend you should tighten that up <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but i don't think they always understand why i'm saying that right and i mean even our own teammates you know like i remember i think it was probably two years ago this one I re- but i remember taking john and going like okay that vest needs to be like adjusted to fit you and he was like yeah hey, it's fine like whatever and so we were at a game so he just played the day and the next time we were doing training Phil and I basically, you know, grabbed him and started adjusting the vest on him. It's like, yeah, you're going to figure out why we're right. You know, I've run my, uh, my, especially my chest rig, but especially, especially my Syraz. Like I can, I can remember running that in, you know, super floppy mode. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely, right? um, absolutely. You know, the most accurate term for me running while wearing that Syraz was definitely galumphing because that is the noise I made. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a lot to be said about having everything right and tight. I think... 
people might not realize the advantage of having this your all your gear in exactly the same space but it all comes down to sort of your your speed and your training and the fact that every, everything being in the same place means that you're you know you're really streamlining all of your motions right uh, if you go to do a reload like you were saying if the mag is always in the same place then you don't have to think about it, right? It's all muscle memory. It's all flowing naturally. And you can really focus on what's going on on the field rather than trying to focus on yourself to figure out like, okay, where's my mag? It's not where it's supposed to be. Oh, it's shifted. Where's my sidearm? Oh, it's shifted. If everything is where it's supposed to be, you never have to think about that, right? You just go to draw a mag, you're done. You go to draw your sidearm, you're done. And like, let's be real, I need all the help with that processing power that I can get. <laughs> right, absolutely. And we've talked about this before, but like being an effective player on the field is spending less time thinking about yourself and managing your own gear and stuff and more about understanding what role you're playing on the field and what's going on out there rather than in here, so to speak. So that's that's totally, totally a fair point. Another thing that I've done that was a, a pretty small change but it's made a really really big difference for me is changing from a traditional crane stock that I had on my M4 to like a Magpul-esque single tube stock so instead of having like the two saddles on the side and being angled for your cheek or whatever it's just uh, it's just a single tube and it's really thin and that's a small change but it's made a really really big difference for me being able to shoulder my rifle it's much much more comfortable to shoulder number one and then when I'm coming up on target, like I, I very, very seldom, almost never, in fact, have to like rearrange the position of my cheek or anything like that because I'm coming up on target and my head is in the right position every single time. As opposed to with that extra like bit of plastic on the side, like it would, you know, cause me to rest or be at a weird angle. It didn't really work for me, but I didn't realize that it wasn't working well for me until I actually made that switch, until I used, I think Chris had one on his gun that he'd borrowed from someone else. And I was like, wait, hang on, this is way, this is the same rifle. Like this is way more comfortable. So it's been just very, very good for me. And it was a small change. I mean, it cost me $20 to get one of these new, like just, you know, replica stocks or whatever. My buffer tube actually has like electrical tape on the inside because it was a little bit loose to keep it nice and tight. And man, I gotta tell you, it is much, much more comfortable. Makes shouldering, transitioning shoulders especially, a cinch. So it was a big, uh, big improvement for me and just a simple thing to do. And it's really funny because he's saying this and I'm sitting here and I'm like, do I have one of those in the back room? I should try that. Like, I'm a, I'm a big dude, you know, so I, I, as daft as this is going to sound, I have a bigger face than he does. So the cheek weld problem isn't as big a deal for me, but like, ergonomics are great. So, yeah. Yeah, so my recommendation there is if you know anyone who has like a thin stock, just ask if you can swap them. Because I mean, typically they come off pretty easily. I know mine does. So just ask if you can swap for a game and see the difference. Because you will you will see the difference. Unless you need that extra sort of like uh, side on your crane stock to, for a battery or something like that, which some people do. I would highly recommend just instead using a thin stock and just keeping the battery right inside the buffer tube. It's been very beneficial for me. I definitely find the comfort much better. We uh, we definitely have, like, a solid benefit going on there. Um, you know, in that we're rocking the uh, the Spectre Fets, which do allow for as much room in that buffer tube as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, they're not the only thing there. And, yeah, it's it's solid, right? Like, it's a, it is a good thing. And, yeah, um, like, I mean, literally, as we're talking about this, and this is one of the cool things about doing this podcast is, you know, like, sometimes we have conversations and we're like, 
I should try that, <laughs> right? I definitely want to borrow, uh, you know, borrow that and just like, not even necessarily, you know, run it for a game, but just the next time Phil and I are hanging out uh, whenever we're allowed to hang out again, because, you know, still COVID restrictions here. Um, I'm probably just going to spend half an hour doing drills with his gun and be like, do I want this? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, another thing that, I, that I've done over the years, and it's actually been quite a while now, but um, one thing that was extremely beneficial to me was switching camo. For many years, multicam was like our go-to, right? That's just the, it's what we used, and it was a cool thing to wear and all this kind of stuff. And I remember distinctly just being like, hey, so maybe this is not as effective as we thought, right? And so we made the, the, we made the decision to switch to, to Woodland, and that was not a decision that I took lightly because I really did like multicam, and I had a good multicam BDU, and I was happy with it. But the reality is, like, that switch made a huge difference. And really, when you think about the impact that it has on your airsoft play, in terms of your own play style, it made it makes zero difference, right? Because what you're wearing in terms of the camo doesn't change anything for you. It doesn't slow you down or speed you up or do anything like that, right? It doesn't hamper your movement because you're wearing woodland instead of multicam, obviously. But it does make a huge difference to you, how effective you can be on the field. And in the recent video that you know we re-recorded with Johnny, uh, looking at camouflage and effectiveness, in, especially in our environment and stuff, you really get a sense of how important camouflage is and to sort of let go of you know any ego you might have with respect to a particular camo that you think looks the best and you want to use and actually just use whatever is the most effective. And it's not flash, P.S., um, <laughs> But in a lot of cases, it's it might not be what you're wearing. And you have to be open to the idea that, well, if you want a more effective camo, you might need to change, if not necessarily to a specific pattern, at least change your color, right? If you're using multicam, chances are, if you're in the our kind of environment, it's not going to be effective for you because it's meant for like mostly desert environments, right? Or at least arid environments where when we have lush, dark green forests, you're just standing out like a lighthouse in the middle of like the forest, which is not effective. Right? Turns out our arid multicam, as glamorous as it still feels, frankly, is not actually the best thing um, in the world that we uh, that we've ever worn. Right? It's not the most useful thing we've ever strapped on during our play. Yeah. Um, like, and, and as a corollary to that, I think there's also the idea of what are you going to put on the rest of your body, like your helmet, and you know, putting a fabric helmet cover on my fast helmet was a huge boon. I thought that just having it painted green was good enough. Nope, absolutely not. You put a fabric cover on there and you throw even some scrim if you can. And suddenly, you know, you go from having a piece of kit which is, you know, okay at, you know, camouflaging you to something that is excellent at camouflaging you. And it requires, again, no change to your own particular gameplay or game style. It's just added, it's adding benefit to you without giving you any real drawback, except for the fact that you might think, well, well, I don't like the way this camouflage looks. That's great. But if it's effective, who cares? And making that sort of mindset change for me was also, was a huge part of it. Um, until of course, you know, you sort of see it in action. And I distinctly remember last year being, uh, like with my, with my new helmet cover and stuff, like being in a bush and looking at someone, I had zero cover. I only had concealment and I was looking at this player and this player could not see me, right? They were looking right at my direction, but they didn't see me. And I fired one shot and I hit them and they were like, oh my God, where'd that come from? 
couldn't see me. And that, that's right? a good feeling, right? Like that is that is a feels good moment for the airsoft player right there. But also, um, you know, I think an addendum to this that is very very valuable to us is you know given that you can get camo at you know your army surplus relatively cheaply um it's worthwhile to have a couple of sets for different times of year because um, when you know when it's sort of fall here and all the grass is dying and you know that sort of thing uh if you hit prone in multicam here like in arid camo here in the brush you you're gone you disappear right uh, and I mean, you always have that problem here because most of our forests are evergreen of just like, oh yeah, this does not blend into the trees well, but there are lots of places where multicam in a couple of specific times of year that only lasts for about a month is actually great. Yeah, exactly. And you know, if you're just starting out airsoft, I mean, we're not saying that you need two sets of camo, but just think about like what is actually really effective and what's going to work best for your environment and being able to have those, those like sort of like critical, you know, in, you know, being able to have those critical discussions with you to say, yeah, I really like this particular camo pattern, but it's garbage, right? And so Alpenflage is a great example of that. I really like it. I think it's hilarious, but it's not really effective. Am I going to wear it to games? Yeah, I sure will. But my expectation is not that it's going to keep me hidden, right? It's just for fun. If I really want to get that benefit, I need to consider whether I should be wearing Woodland or whether something like maybe Multicam is more effective or if it's, you know, wintertime, whether it's going to be uh, throwing on um, you know, winter whites on top of uh, what I'm currently wearing. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily take a humongous amount of thought to get you there either, right? But it does require some thought, and I think that's for me is that's the big benefit. It's that sort of small small mindset change around camouflage yields a tremendous benefit in terms of actual concealment and staying in the game longer. Absolutely, like it's it's. Um, I, I I use this word perhaps um, too much by way of hyperbole, right? But it's unbelievable. It it is one of those things where you're like, man, um, you know, like I'm not the sneakiest guy on our team. I'm probably the worst person on our team at using cover in a lot of ways. And part of that's, I'm huge. And part of it's that, you know, um, I uh, spent five years not getting physio on a knee I needed to get physio for. <laughs> um, and that made it harder to fold myself into a smaller space than it should have been. But I genuinely think that, you know, switching to a dark green camo in the woods here allows me to fade in way better and me to get the drop on people uh and i'm not a sneaky man like i'm i'm on the larger smashier side of the human race <laughs> mm -hmm. all right uh what's your next one so i feel like this is a bit cheeky um uh, because it's uh, it's taking the small thing kind of literally but uh i'm i'm gonna return to mentioning you know we carry um, we carry grenades. They are probably the smallest thing on my kit that I routinely pull out of somewhere and use. And I, there's n virtually nothing in my kit I will not discard before that grenade that is not my rifle, my goggles, or my boots. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like, that is the fourth most valuable thing in my airsoft kit to be carrying around on my person. Which, you know, we've said it before, um, and then we are harping on it, but they're a game changer. They're a force multiplier. They allow you to do stuff that is otherwise literally impossible in Airsoft. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit more, though, and say, in terms of game changers, the switch from my uh, from my KJW uh, USP45 to my uh, TMPX4 was definitely a change to a smaller thing. <laughs> Phil's going to slap me later. Mm -hmm. um, but switching to a pistol that I found more comfortable that I liked better, that I was more motivated to pull out and practice with was actually a really big deal. 
Right. Because yeah. again, you know, we've, yes, we've definitely said, you know, these things are really fun, but they're not the most practical part of our kit and we don't use them very often. Uh, but that was the transition for me from a gun where some of the time I pulled it out of its holster and pulled the trigger and it went click. And I went, ah, oh, crap to one that every time I pull it out of the holster and pull the trigger, it shoots. I hit the target that I'm aiming at. And that is minty, right? You do not want a piece of gear that does not work. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, I think the USB 45 is super cool, right? Um, but it doesn't matter how cool it is if it doesn't work. And frankly, you know, like, we've talked also, like, I, I know people who run Desert Eagles in Airsoft, and I think they're big and clumsy, and I don't want one. Um, but I would have been better off with a Desert Eagle that fired every time and did everything I needed it to than I was with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's funny because like we, we've talked in the past, we talked with Chris actually not too long ago that the sidearm is actually just sort of like a Gucci piece of kit and you don't really need it. And, you know, in certain respects, that's true. I know for you in particular, like you kept it because of close range engagements and your, your longer rifle length and stuff like that. All fair. Um, but you're right. Like if you're going to carry one, it's got to work. Right. And nothing works better than a TM gas blowback pistol. Right. In my experience and your experience, they just always work. And I mean, yeah, I can, I know people will be like, oh yeah, no, I've got a Western arms and it works great. Oh, I've got a salient arms. It works great. Totally. And it's certainly possible that that's true. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not. However, what we've found is that by and large, anytime you get a Tokyo Marui GBB out of the box, it's going to work every time. And that's what I use now. And I didn't for many years. And I had a pistol that only worked some of the time. Right. So it's just something that's for sure worth considering. And it's a, it's a small switch. But again, there's some budget that's behind that as well. So you might not be able to afford it. And that's that's fair enough. I mean, I actually am going to note here that like one of the big things there. So when we started playing, right, your TM pistol was $400. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a huge gateway. They're about 253 now. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So it'll cost you, you know, two um like WACO2 pistols you don't need the WACO2 pistol you don't need a pistol right away at all wait the like 20 minutes right wait the couple yeah. weeks wait however long it is if you can afford the 151 put away another 150 get the TM I promise you they are totally sexy enough to be worth the extra weight and money I've used I, I love small guns. We've talked about it before. I love airsoft pistols. I've used every single pistol that has ever been owned in this city that I can, that is a variant that I can think of. The TM version of everything is nicer by an order of magnitude. <laughs> um, yeah, would I certainly agree with that. They're also, they're durable. We've run a lot of rounds through them. Um, you know, I, I just bought a new px4 because talking in this podcast about how much i missed my px4 made me want a px4 again so i have two pistols and they're both tm and i don't care and i mean we're not sponsored by tm in any way shape or form it's just that's been our experience yeah, right i mean i'd love to be sponsored by uh tm because man <laughs> more tm pistols yeah. but like no absolutely uh not a thing um you know it's not in any way um even on the radar right but they're great guns and yeah. i'm way more about telling you yeah i love this piece of gear i think this piece of gear is significantly better is more what we want to be using and man i've used like <laughs> i've used cheap terrible gas guns i've used springers i've used you know um <laughs> man i've used a webley like i've used a uh, a colt single action army 
right? Sadly, that one didn't belong to me because uh, that I'd still have. But like, you need it to work every time. Every time you pull that out, you need it to ideally first round hit whatever you're firing at if you're inside of its effective range, right? Especially because you've got a small magazine and you're almost always pulling it for some reason that is immediately threatening to you, right? Like, yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, in my experience with Airsoft, uh, this is one of the few things where I'm absolutely sure money talks. Um, you know, like you, I, if you look at me and go, Hey, can you play, you know, the next, the rest the entire season next season with a CM 16 Raider? The answer is yes. And I'll be combat effective 95% of the time with that CM 16 Raider. I don't particularly want to do it. You'd need to be, uh, be offering me some sort of incentive for the end of the season. But if you have, you know, if you really wanted to put that to the test, I'm 100% sure I could play effectively with an unupgraded stock Raider for a full season and still be an effective member of my team and useful. Different role, different job. Mm-hmm. You know, no problem. Uh, if you ask me in those situations where I'm needing my sidearm, would I go back to the 45? Even brand new, even when it was, even when the USP 45 was brand new and worked the best it ever worked versus the TM, you're dropping your effectiveness by 30%. You're dropping the performance of the thing you are relying on in that situation by 30%. And so the answer to me is yeah. no, I don't really think it does the job. Yeah, I agree. So the last small change that I want to I want to talk about today, and this is actually like a small change uh, in the sense that what we're talking about is very, very small, but it had a huge impact on my play style and my airsoft play in general. We don't talk about it a whole lot because it actually happened a fair amount of time ago, but it was actually switching from 0.25 gram BBs to heavier wheat BBs from like 0.28 at an absolute minimum, but really 0.30 and 0.32 gram BBs. It's hard to overstate the difference that heavier BBs will perform compared to lighter weight BBs. And I can explain it to you all day long, but until you see it for yourself, you may not actually believe it. But the reality is that using a heavier BB, yes, will reduce your muzzle velocity. Absolutely, because your system is shooting a heavier thing, so it's going to slow down. But number one, it does not reduce your effective range. We actually talked about this in a recent video. It doesn't reduce your effective range. In fact, it increases it because the heavier projectiles actually retain their energy over a longer distance. What this also means is that the projectile is less susceptible to variables such as wind and other brush cover and all this kind of stuff. Is it still susceptible to it? I mean, yeah, you're still talking about a plastic sphere that you're shooting through the air, right? So if there's a breeze, it's going to blow it off target. That's still going to happen. It doesn't matter if you're shooting a 0.25 or 0.36. I mean, if you're shooting even a real bullet, that still will have an effect, right? And that's still much heavier and it's going much faster. So there's still going to be an effect there. But when it comes to getting your rounds on target as accurately as you possibly can, when it comes to being able to hit people who are behind light concealment, such as like behind a bush or something, when it comes to being able to hit targets that are further away, you cannot beat the performance of heavier weight BBs. And the reality is that almost every single airsoft gun, unless you're talking about like a Walmart M4 or something like that, almost every airsoft gun is capable of shooting at the very least a 0.25, and I would suspect even a 
If you're thinking about a 0.30 or 0.32, you may want a couple upgrades in there, maybe a stronger spring, maybe some different gears, a better air seal like we've talked about in the past, you know, follow that sort of upgrade path. But if you're using an upgraded airsoft gun, you have absolutely no excuse for not using a 0.30 or 0.32. They're just going to give you the performance that you actually want. And like I said right at the beginning, it doesn't reduce your effective range. When you're talking about the ranges that we're talking about typically in airsoft, like 150 feet or something like that, your, your heavier weight BBs are going to be great for that, or they're going to be the best bang for your buck. There's really no reason not to. And I, I really want to sort of emphasize here, right? We were talking about this a little bit earlier when we mentioned the sort of going out and like, not just zeroing our optics, but like getting a really good feel for, okay, so we've got a roughly pat-sized piece of cardboard over there. I'm 150 feet away from it, measured off. How easy is, is it for me to put rounds directly on the torso of that target every time? Um, you know, my gun shoots further than the range we zeroed it at. You know, I can get another 20, 30, maybe 50 feet, right? Um, and that's that's without like, you know, as I said earlier, like using it like a mortar, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what I needed to know, what I wanted to know is how far can I get that away? Can I get that consistency so that every time I pull the trigger, I'm hitting somebody and increasing your BB weight, you know, you might lose 10 feet off of that distance, but you're going to gain a significant amount of consistency and you're going to be able to retain that consistency in the face of wind, which where we live is a humongous issue and through brush, you know? Yeah. Um, there are, uh, if you're using 0.2 gram BBs, right, uh, and I can get behind a pine tree, I basically might as well have a solid wall in front of me as far as you're concerned. But if I switch to 0.28s, which is, you know, still, you know, well within the range of, frankly, almost every airsoft gun I've ever used that didn't come from Walmart, yeah, right? Like your, your stock 375 FPS airsoft gun can fire 0.28s pretty effectively. They're going straight through that and hitting the person. And yeah. that yeah. means that that's not hard cover for them anymore, which is great for me. Yeah, absolutely. And like, when you think about it, like, you know, you're shooting someone at 150 feet away with a 0.2 gram BB or a 0.3 gram BB. Well, guess what? You're actually going to be more effective with your 0.3 gram BB. Uh, and that's also, we're also not talking about like higher jewel guns and stuff like that and jewel creep, etc. We're just talking about regular old AEGs. For the average airsoft player, you there's no reason not to be using a 0.28 gram BB. And me, at least a 0.28 gram BB, I should say. And for myself, making the switch from a 0.2 and 0.25 to going up to a 2830 and 32 has been a complete complete game changer and it's again like we were saying before has changed nothing about my own particular playstyle like i'm still engaging targets and moving on the field and all this kind of stuff it just allows my gun to perform at the level that i would expect it to and you know when you're shooting at a guy who you can see behind a bush and you're not able to hit them, that kind of sucks, right? So you can maximize your odds by increasing your BB weight, plain and simple. And, and just for added fun, it costs you like fractions of a cent per round. So yeah. um, there's really no reason not to do it. One of the sort of resulting factors here is, you know, like you don't want to run a 0.32 gram BB in your stock airsoft gun, probably. You know, there, there are upper bounds, but... Pretty much everything can run a 0.28, and it, it, especially if you're playing outdoors, especially if you're playing in, you know, an area with dense brush, it cuts brush so much better. You know, it keeps mm -hmm. the projectile more stable longer. Um, yeah. You know, 
arguably when we did the tech video last week, I should have mentioned this, right? We should have thought to go, you know, one of the first things you can do that's sensible in terms of getting an increase in your performance of your airsoft rifle out of the box is throw out your 0.2 gram BBs and buy some 0.25s or 0.28s. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we're not really talking about brands in particular, but I think it's worth mentioning too. like, make sure you get a, a BB that's a good quality, like a good brand. There's lots of brands out there that are perfectly fine. And I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not going to tell you that one brand is better than others. I mean, we use Mad Bull and we like that. We've used Griffin in the past. We like those two. Uh, there are some brands out there that are really bad and you should avoid them. Like I think a uh, golden ball in particular is, is not great at all. Uh, so do a little bit of research. And if you're just using sort of a, like a basic, like, you know, G and G or elite force or whatever, you can take a bit of time and try and get a better brand BB. And that will also improve your performance. And yeah, it will increase your cost, but again, it's really marginal. It's the difference between buying, you know, a 4,000 round bag that costs you $30 versus a 4,000 round bag that costs you, you know, $35 Canadian. Are you willing to spend that extra five bucks for just a, a better quality, better performing BB? You, you should be prepared to do that, right? It's just, it's not pay to win. It's just pay to get the maximum performance out of your airsoft gun. Yeah. And your tech will also thank you absolutely for not using uh, garbage ammo. Um, you know, you're, uh, your really cheap brands of BB can fragment in the barrel. They often have sort of imperfections in different sizes. And so some, I've seen people get, you know, oh, this is a, a little bigger than it's supposed to be to the point where it jams up my 6.03 type or, uh, or, you know, I bought not very good um, eco, you know, biodegradable BBs and six to seven weeks later, uh, they're, you know, swollen enough that like, I'm not going to notice it, but when I toss it into my gun, it's going to jam up my gun, and then I have to take them out of your gun for you, uh, which is often a pain in the ass, um, you know. And, like, even there was a point where a bunch of guys on our team were complaining about accuracy issues, and they bought cheap, really not very good BBs here. Um, and when I took their guns down and took a look at them, uh, there was just white powder residue from the rounds left in their barrels, Right. And like, it was super easy to clean out. And I, uh, you know, I'm still making fun of them for it, to be completely honest, because the, the next bag up of ammo, right, the bag that I'm using cost me $35 and the bag they bought cost them $25. So for set, for the sake of paying an extra $10, I got rounds that worked, that are still working, that fire where I want them to go every time that are better made and that don't mess up my gun. I know, oh, you know, $10 is $10, but don't cheap out on your ammo. <laughs> You know, Absolutely. And, um, in case uh, you haven't heard this anywhere else, uh, so your gun will come with a little bag of .2s usually. Don't use them; they're they're not good ammo ever. Um, yeah. And like, you know, every now and then, you know, you're like, oh, I bought this gun. Well, it's been sitting on the shelf for four years, and that's been in here without a silica packet for four years. So like, mm, <laughs> don't do it. So guys, thanks so much for tuning in. That's it for our small changes that we've made that make big differences. Let us know what you think in the comments. Um, this is certainly something we can revisit in the future. Uh, but for right now, that's all we've got. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. And we will talk to you soon.